There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve, to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I, uh, I hope you guys had some really good discussions last week after Glenn's message on uh, darkness. And um, we're going to recap just a little bit in a minute, but I, I hope this is settled in your hearts. Um, that it's moved from your mind and in, into your heart, and that you understand that um, there's a real darkness out there. There's an enemy that is out to get us. That is his, uh, his own defined purpose, uh, and, and, and we, need to, we need to let that settle today. So if it hasn't already, as we recap, I want you to just kind of let this settle in your heart and, and realize it to be the truth that it is, okay? Um, Tim Keller, I started reading a new book by him this week. It's called Hidden Christmas. Uh, it's a really great read. It's only like 10, it's on sale in the Amazon store right now. It's like 10 bucks for the Kindle book. Um, but he says this, he says, Christmas contains many spiritual truths, but it will be hard to grasp um, the others unless we grasp this one first. That is, the world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality until Jesus is our light. Okay, so uh, in week one, when, uh, when Glenn started this sermon series, uh, two weeks ago, he said that Jesus was God uh, in the beginning. Jesus was there with God when the earth was created. Jesus was a part of that, and that the uh, Trinity has existed together um, forever. Okay, he talked about how sin was not a surprise that when, uh, when the Trinity was sitting there and they're discussing the idea of creating humans that they knew from the beginning that sin was going to be an issue um, and that uh, God wanted us to join in the perfect community that he was experiencing within himself. Um, and, and so before he even spoke the world into existence, he had a plan in place to, to deal with the sin problem so that we could join him in that community. Okay, um, In week two... Last week, Glenn talked about what is darkness. We talked about the fact that darkness, when we refer to it in a biblical sense, it, it is talking about a realm of evil. Uh, we talked about the fact that God did not create it. Um, so we asked the question, if God didn't create darkness, where did it come from? And we talked about how Lucifer, who was uh, one of the top angels, looked at himself and said, look how great I am, I should be God too. Um, and that separated him from God, and God cast him down to the earth and gave him dominion over it. All right, and that's where that's where this darkness comes to, and and now we have an enemy that is trying to rob the light from our lives. Um, so today we're going to learn about light coming into darkness. I'm excited about the message today because um, light is a really really good thing for us. Okay, so I'm going to cover really five main points today. I don't like to do that many usually, but the text kind of demanded it today. We're going to be in um, John chapter one. We're going to do verses six through eleven. So we're going to cover a couple of things. We're going to talk about the Old Testament prophecies, about the coming of the light. We're going to talk about who is John the Baptist, where did he come from, what's his role in this. We're going to look at the fact that the enemy has blinded all of us. Um, we're going to talk about the fact that the light reveals the truth and that light is, our, is, is the end, it is the victory. Okay. And then next week, Glenn is going to wrap up this sermon series with how do we respond to the light. Uh, we were blinded by the darkness, now we have the ability to see the light. And then what is our response to that? Okay, so let's jump right in um, to, uh, to chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
All right, so we, as we jump into this, we see there's a guy called John the Baptist. We're going to talk about him in just a minute, but before we get to him, um, I want you to think about a time that you've tried to convince someone that something was true and they would not believe you. What do you need in that existence? And, and, and if, if I'm trying to, to explain to you that the sky is purple today and you're going, well, there's no way. What if I brought in an expert and said, this expert will now testify? Wouldn't that help to have that witness, an expert witness, to say, yes, the sky is purple today because of these things. The sky is not purple, don't worry. Okay, last I checked, it was still blue. A witness helps us, okay? And we're going to look at this idea of a witness in just a minute, okay? So John comes in advance of Jesus. We're in the book of John, and we're talking about John the Baptist. I'm going to try to not let that be confusing today. Um, so most of the time, if I say the name John, I'm talking about John the Baptist, not the author of the book, okay? Because it's two different people. That's important to know, okay? So John the Baptist came in advance of Jesus to be a witness, okay? He wanted, God told him to be a witness to the light, and he was going to be the final witness in a long line of prophecies about the coming Messiah. Since the flood, since Noah, God had been preparing his people for the redemptive work that he had in store for them. And he had been foretelling the, the, the nation of Israel from Noah and up until John the Baptist, the, these little pieces of the, of the story or the puzzle, if you will, of what's about to happen through, through the person of Jesus, okay? So let's look for just a moment. We're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and we're going to talk about these prophecies just a little bit. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So throughout our history, throughout the history of, of Christianity and of the Jews, God has been revealing his plan for redemption in little doses through the prophets. Okay, And Jesus was and is that plan. From, from beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and he created humans, the plan has always been that Jesus was going to come and take the sin out of our lives. The things that we could not do for ourselves, he's going to come and do. Okay, not, not one, not any of the prophets could understand the entire truth. They couldn't understand or grasp the whole concept of what God was going to do. And so God gave it in, in little pieces. Okay, This, this passage... Um, is not just a statement of facts. It's a manifesto. It's declaring the truth about who Jesus is to the nation of Israel. The book of Hebrews was written to help the Jews understand all of these puzzle pieces. For years, they are getting these little tidbits, all these little pieces of the prophecy, but they hadn't quite put them together yet, not all of them. And so the book of Hebrews was written to help them put those pieces together and see um, what, what God has been saying all along. The author is trying to show us that the light has been the plan from the beginning. He's trying to open our eyes to see the truth that has already been revealed to us through the person of Jesus. Okay? God, in his proactive plan, um, it had the, the revelation of that plan in motion from the beginning. He was revealing pieces and pieces and pieces to each of the prophets. Something I learned this week that I didn't, I didn't know, or I hadn't realized, this came out of one of the commentaries, it says that, all was not revealed to each one prophet, but one received a, one portion of the revelation and another another. So to Noah, the quarter of the world to which the Messiah should belong was revealed. To Abraham, the nation. 
to Jacob the tribe, to David and Isaiah the family, to Micah the town of, of nativity, to Daniel the exact time, to Malachi the coming of his forerunner, who's John the Baptist, and his second advent, through Jonah his burial and resurrection, through Israel and Hosea his resurrection. Each only knew their part. When you put all those parts together, you get the whole picture and you see the whole sum of what God is, is planning from the beginning. John's the final piece of this puzzle, okay? Just before Jesus' arrival, God sends John the Baptist to come and prepare the way uh, by announcing the arrival of the Messiah. The light is coming. That was, his, that was his message. The light is coming now. It's the time to repent, okay? So all these prophecies existed, and if you would have gone to any of the Pharisees and asked them about any of the prophecies, they could have recited them to you. That was part of their learning. They could, they could orate the, the entire Old Testament, the oral tradition, the written, the written tradition. That's what they did. And so the question I have to ask myself is, how did they miss it? If they have it memorized, if they know it, if they wear it around their necks and on their heads, how did they miss, how did they not make these puzzle pieces fit together? We'll get to that in just a minute. So who is John the Baptist? Um, if you, if you want to go back and look at this on your own, it's a, it's a really good read. It's in John chapter 1. Um, I think that's John. I didn't write down the, uh, the book. Anyway, go back and read. No, Luke, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. I'm not going to read that because it's a lot, so I'll just tell you this story. So there's a man named Zechariah um, who is a priest. He and his wife are, Scripture says that they are blameless in God's sight. They've kept the commandments. They've done well. So Zechariah is a priest. It's his turn to go into the Holy of Holies. And there, it says there's a multitude of people outside worshiping as he goes into the, the innermost part of the sanctuary to perform the, the things that he needs to do, that he's called to do in there. And so while he's in there, an angel appears to him and says, Hey, Zechariah, don't worry. Your prayers have been answered. I know that your wife is barren, but she will be with child. And Zechariah says, how is that possible? I'm an old man and she's an old woman. Excuse me. He says she's advanced in years. Smart guy. Okay. So she's barren. They've prayed their whole lives to have a child. And an angel appears and says, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah, like most of us, probably went, <laughs> I'm old, dude. No, we, we can't do that anymore. And, and, and the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I, I, I stand next to the God of, all, of everything. And he told me to come to you and tell you that you're going to have a baby. And I want you to name him John because he's, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And since you didn't believe me, you can't talk now until the baby's born. Okay? So Zechariah comes out and everybody immediately, they realize the multitude that's there that's worshiping, realize that something has happened. And John's trying to tell them, but his voice is not working. And so he's making hand motions and all that, and they just can't understand what's going on. That's a funny picture to me. So he goes home and he tells his wife, he says, hey, guess what? We're fixing to have a baby. And, and she's obviously very, very excited. Okay. So sure enough, turns out she, it says that Elizabeth, uh, that was John's mom's name, stayed in the house for five months because she, she didn't want to, she didn't want to, you know, say, hey, I'm pregnant and then not be pregnant. She was a little worried about it. So she stays in the house for five months and then she reveals to, to everyone that she is in fact with child. Okay. So. John and Jesus share a really special kinship, okay? Not only are they cousins, they are, um, but both of them's births were announced by an angel. Can I just say that's a lot better than a pregnancy test, right? I mean, can you imagine instead of having to go to the doctor or, or any of that stuff that just an angel would show and be like, you're pregnant, congratulations. That'd be pretty neat. I think that would be a lot better way to go. If we're, Bethany, if we're going to have number six, I'm asking for an angel. 
Okay? She says no. Okay. All right. So Gabriel tells Zechariah what John's purpose is, that he's to prepare the nation of Israel for the ministry of Jesus. He tells Zechariah before, before, he's, before he's even conceived, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's to be John, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Okay? Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about John's childhood, probably because he was raised in the Nazarite tradition. Um, it's where they didn't cut their hair. They abstained from alcohol. He was raised um, to be a priest. That's, that was what his call was. Okay? But Scripture skips straight to his adult ministry. And the next thing that we see about John is that he's out by the Jordan River preaching repentance and baptizing people um, as a sign um, that they're turning away from their sin and turning back to God. Okay, So the next point is that the enemy has blinded us all. We're going to talk about the fact that the Pharisees were missing this. Okay, Even though John was called by God, he was speaking the truth. He was fulfilling the prophecy with the same power as Elijah, which was in the prophecy. The, the angel told uh, Zechariah, your son is going to speak with the power uh, and magnitude of Elijah. Okay, So here's John. He's preaching. The Pharisees see that, but they're blinded to what God's doing. Look at this interaction between John and some of the, the Pharisees. Okay, it says in chapter 1, verse 19, this is in, in John 1. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent the priest um, and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said to him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So they're still blind to who John is. John tells them, I'm the one. Scripture, Isaiah told you I was coming. He prophesied that one would come to prepare the way. I'm that guy. And they, and they still don't get it. I ask myself, really? I mean, I look at this and I say, how did, how did you miss it? Last week we talked about the darkness and we talked about how Satan's goal is to blind us to the realities, to the truth that God has put around us. Look at this. This is out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, yeah. In their case, the God of this world, little, little g God, was, has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're blinded. I used to think it was ignorance. When I would read scripture and I would look at stories like this, I would say, they're just ignorant. They didn't realize what was happening. But this week, as I've, as I've studied these scriptures and I've, um, and I've read some different books and looked at different commentaries, I realized it's not that they were ignorant. It's not that they didn't want to believe. It's that they were blinded. The uh, evangelical commentary on the Bible says that the entry of the word into the world is described as a light shining in the darkness. Even though John the Baptist's testimony was clear, still Jesus experienced rejection. But there's more. The darkness is hostile. It says that the darkness has not overcome the light. That Greek word translated overcome means to seize with hostile intent. We need to be acutely aware of the fact that we are engaged in a war every day. That the darkness... The enemy, his self-defined purpose is to blind us, to hide our eyes from the truth, to, to not let our hearts realize the reality that we are in. Aaron, uh, one of our elders, recommended a book to us a few weeks ago um, to the other elders, and it's called Invisible War by Chip Ingram. 
I've read several chapters into this book already, and it is so apparent and obvious. And, and a lot of the things that he talks about is what a lot of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about in Screwtape's letters. But that the, the enemy twists every situation and he puts things in our paths to cause us to stumble and not see the goodness of who God is. He is so jealous of God that he will do whatever is necessary to keep us from seeing the goodness of God. The reality for the Israelites for the Pharisees, for the Sadducees. The reality for us is that we are at war. And the biggest problem with the war is the fact that we don't even know that we are in war. The darkness has blinded us just like it blinds them. Consider for a moment the daily implications that can have for us. That in the morning when you get up, and you have in your mind, I'm going to pursue the Lord today, and you go to get your cup of coffee, and the coffee maker didn't turn on, and you're in a bad mood could be the enemy. I'm not saying that everything in our life that happens that is bad is the, is the devil. Sometimes it's just us, you know, like forgetting to set the coffee pot. But sometimes it's beyond that. It's bigger than us. It's that the enemy knows where we want to be, but he doesn't allow us to get there. It's like Paul said, the things I want to do, I can't. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. It's because we are, we are in war. So what does the light mean for us? The fact that we're in war, that we live in a dark world, the light means everything. The light reveals the truth. The light shines in the darkness and says, that thing that you think you understand, you don't. Let me tell you how much better it is. Bethany and I, when we were, when we were discussing this, um, this passage this week, she told me, and I, I didn't realize, but this is one of her favorite verses. Um, and she, she showed me an article that she wrote several years ago when we were fostering Joshua and Amy. Um, and I wanted to read you just a line that she wrote um, to kind of help you understand for us what darkness was looking like. Bethany said, We have seen for the first time the depth of the darkness of this world because of the things that we were going through that our, that our children had gone through even before they came into our care. There was a depth of darkness that we never understood. And she went on to say, But because of that, because of the depth of that darkness that we've experienced We've also seen the magnitude of God's power. When you, when you open your eyes, when your eyes are uncovered and the light shines into the darkness and you see the darkness for what it is, it reveals to you something about God that you never knew before. It shows you his might and his strength to overcome. Okay, We were obeying God's call for our lives. God told us to foster he said specifically a sibling group. We went into, did the foster care training. We asked specifically for a sibling group. We got that. We're following God's commands. And as we obeyed, Satan attacked. But the darkness could not extinguish the light. Look at chapter 8 with me. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that a testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? 
And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. Jesus, being the light, reveals some truth to us in this passage. Yes, the Pharisees knew the law. They were really good at reciting it. But even though they knew the law, they didn't know the Father, the creator of the law. And as a result, since they didn't know the creator of the law, they didn't really understand what the law meant. They are blind to the fact that the creator of everything is standing in front of them. The guy that wrote the law is the guy that's standing in front of them. And they try to use the law that he created to keep liars from lying against him. They're lecturing the truth, capital T, in integrity. Do you see the idiocy in that? Here is the creator of the universe. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And so here is Jesus standing in front of the Pharisees, and they're accusing him of lying. They're telling him he doesn't understand what the truth really is. It's not that the Pharisees were bad guys. They were blind. Their eyes had been, had been covered over. They could not see Jesus for who he was. Our culture, our communities are blind as well. Just turn on the news. I, I, I've, I've gotten to where I, I can't even stand to get on social media because of the negativity of what's happening in our world. I'm not talking about what people are saying that's dumb. I'm talking about what people are doing that's dumb that people are saying dumb things about. I mean, the, the root of the issue is the problem that I have. Tim Keller, in the book Hidden Christmas, talks about the meaning of what Christmas is. And he says that a few years ago, the New York Times said this, and he quotes the New York Times. He says, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Boy, that sounds nice, doesn't it? I think he stole that from every Miss America pageant contestant ever. World peace. It's actually the opposite of that. That meaning that they used implies that we bring about unity and peace. If we could fix the problem, I say this all the time, if we could fix the problem within ourselves, we'd already be fixed. Because none of us like where we are. We have parts of ourselves that we like. We have portions of our life that we like. But all of us are unhappy about something. And the problem is is that we've been blinded to the truth of what happiness really is, of where joy comes from. Have you ever tried to fix something when you didn't know what you were doing? Guys, come on, get your hands up. Try to fix something you didn't know what you're doing and you failed. Okay? Never liar. He is blind. Your wife will tell you later. Okay, how wrong you are. So the other day, uh, Joshua is in here, so I'm going to let him know I'm picking on him. Except maybe he's asleep. There he is. Okay, so Joshua, uh, our kids are doing, we, they do chores every evening before bed. Parents, if your kids aren't doing chores before bed, you need to start just because it makes life easier. Okay, we figured out our kids could do dishes, and now I don't have to. It's amazing. Okay, so Joshua um, is in charge of taking out the trash. And so Bethany told Joshua to go empty the diaper genie. If you don't have kids yet, the diaper genie is a magical can that holds all the stinky. Okay, you put the diapers in there, and it keeps the smell in there. But it eventually gets full, and someone has to empty it. So that day, it was Joshua's turn. And so Joshua went to empty the diaper genie, and the little refill thing was out. And so we had another one, and he came in and asked his mom. He said, hey, do you want me to put this in? And she said, yes, do you know how? And he said, I think so. And she said, okay, figure it out. Okay. So Joshua went in and he's seen me do this before and, and Joshua did a great job, um, but he didn't do it correctly. And it's okay. Joshua, you're not in trouble. You're good. Okay. So um, the way those things work is it's basically a really long 
plastic tube, okay? And you have to start somewhere. So you pull the end out and you tie a knot in it and shove it back through into the bottom of the can. The diapers go in there, okay? It's a trash bag. Y'all understand how that works? Joshua grabbed the thing and, and pulled it out and he tied a knot in it. Well, the problem was he didn't grab the end. He grabbed it somewhere in the middle, okay? And then put it in upside down. So Bethany and I were in there changing a diaper. That's um, not, not normally a two-man job. We just happened to be there. Um, and she's like, oh, he did this wrong. And so she pulled it out. Wasn't a big deal, and she said she stuck her arm through it to pull it back to the right way, which is when she realized that he had tied it in the middle and not on the end. So long story short, it took the two of us about 15 minutes of fighting with it, and I'm still not sure it's fixed correctly, okay? When we try to, to do things and we don't fully understand it, we mess it up, okay? Our history as believers is a history full of us trying to fix a problem that we don't even understand, we live in a dark world full of dark things, and Jesus is going, hey, right here, I'm the light. You're like, got you, Jesus. I'm going to handle this real quick. Let me just take care of this. I got it. I, I think I know what I'm doing. When we try to fix something and we don't know what we're doing, what ultimately happens is we mess it up, it doesn't work, and somebody else has to come behind us, fix what we messed up before they can even address the original problem. When I worked for Aaron, his, his brother-in-law, Will Travis, one of my favorite sayings he used to always say is, because this happened to us all the time, he said, this is what you get when you're paying somebody to do something and they don't know what they're doing. Okay, that was me he was talking about most of the time. We mess stuff up, but it's because we think we can fix everything. The meaning of Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas, is that this world is an in incredible darkness, but a light has come upon us. Not a light came from within us, a light came upon us. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the fact that we live in a fallen world and that the enemy is after us. But on this one time of year, we celebrate the fact that the light has come. I love, love, love the imagery of the Christmas story. And I didn't even put this together. I don't, I don't know if I should be embarrassed about this or not. But it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that, I, that it dawned on me that the star that the wise men followed was an incredible light in the middle of a darkness. That that's what brought... The wise men to the light was a light. God sent Jesus into our dark world, and he has overcome the darkness. His life fulfilled the law, and his death satisfied the wrath of God that we are owed. Last week, um, all, all week, Moravians had us in the book of Revelations, and the end of the story, spoiler alert, is God wins. At the end of, at the end of time, when Jesus returns, he wins. The darkness doesn't stand a chance. We're in a war. Every day we fight that war. But the victory's already been given to us. We already have a battle plan. And God's given us the tools that are necessary for us to win that victory. So, how do we recognize the light? The Pharisees spent their entire lives studying Scripture. Their whole job was encompassed in knowing God. And they missed it. So how do we see the light? How do, we, how do we take what we're seeing in Scripture? How do we take these lessons and, and let them be lessons learned? And how do we move forward? I went to um, the book of 1 John this week. And we're going to look a little bit at that here uh, at the end of this message and talk about it. So this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And John, the author, says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Anna, do I have the other scripture from 1 John on there? Go ahead and go to that real quick. For some reason, it's not on my tablet. Let's read this too. This is out of chapter 2, so this is just a little further down. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We see a shift in John, the author's message here. I saw it this week as I was preparing, and at first it confused me a little bit. The whole time John has been talking about the light, and then all of a sudden there are these references to fellowship, references to love, references to hate. What was God's motivation for creating us? What, would, what did we say a few weeks ago? Love. God wanted us to enjoy that that perfect community that he had. God is love. And the key to, to sharing the light, the key to seeing the light, is love. God told us last week where we're headed, or through Glenn, told us where we're headed in the next year, that we're going to be talking about what it means to be in community with one another. Okay? The world does not recognize God because we're not showing them who he really is. Church, if we were loving well, there wouldn't be any confusion about the goodness of God. There's so much hurt going on in our country. And if the church was being the church, if we weren't so focused on ourselves, there would be a lot less pain and suffering in our communities. So how do we walk in the light? What does that mean? We love each other. I can tell you right now, when Bethany and I were fostering, when we were experiencing those depths of darkness, if it had not been for Elise Harper, Bill and Buddha's daughter, we would not have made it. If it would not have been for our church family, we would not have made it. The beauty of, of us sharing the light is that when I'm experiencing darkness, God has placed a community of believers around me who share the light. And in our lives, in, that, in those moments when we were at the end of ourselves and we could not figure out how to move forward... God placed a young lady in our life that was shining bright like a diamond. Sorry. It was for all you millennials. God placed somebody in our lives that could help us to see beyond the darkness. Her act of love for us, the church's act of love for us is what carried us through that process. The church being in light shone in our darkness. John the Baptist came into this world and was taken by God to give everything to prepare the way for Jesus. Our call is no different. You know why John ate bugs and wild honey and wore animal skins? Anybody know why? Huh? He was a homesteader? <laughs> he did that stuff because what he ate and what he wore and people's perception of him did not matter in the least. His call was the most important thing in his life. Everything else was secondary for him. 
Glenn is, is going to talk a little bit more next week about what our response to the light is going to be, and I don't want to start sermon number four today, so I'm going to stop right there, okay? I, wanna, I want you guys this week, last week we talked about the darkness, and we shared uh, some stories about what that's like in life groups, okay? This week, one of the things I want you to talk about in life groups is where have you seen the light, and how are you sharing the light? I want to leave you guys with an example. Um, and, 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 and there's a little bit of pride in this, I'm, and I'm not going to be bashful about that. Um, Saley and Luke and Joshua and, Ann, and not Anna, that's her mama, Sarah McKay, started their own life group. We didn't even know about it. Like, we have a life group, and they go to it, but that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted their own. So, like, several weeks after they had been meeting, they're like, oh, yeah, we have our own life group. And as a part of that, they take up an offering. We don't even do that at our life groups. Like, that's kind of cool. And so for how, I don't even know, Saley, how long y'all been doing this? No, she doesn't even know. They've been collecting this offering and they got it in a little box, okay? One of the things that the Butterfield family does kind of as a Christmas tradition is we find a family in our community that's in need um, that, that doesn't have the money to buy gifts for their kids and, and we buy them gifts for their kids. So it's not a big deal. We don't make a big deal about it. We don't hide it from our kids, but it's, it's just something that we do. We've done it for a lot of years. Well, Saley uh, and the boys came in the other night and said, um, hey, Mom and Dad, you know how T and Papa are collecting presents for that family so that they can have Christmas? And they said, yeah. And she said, can we use the money that we've been collecting at Life Group to buy presents for those kids so that they can have Christmas? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. Talk to Sarah. You know, y'all make a plan. Talk about a proud Mom and Daddy moment. That's light. That's light in the darkness. I didn't go to Saley and say, hey, to be a good person, you need to go buy stuff for other people. My kids saw a need. They saw that somebody wasn't going to be able to have what they were blessed with having. And they said, hey, I know how to help with that. That's light in the darkness. So this week, talk about some, some times where you've had someone share light with you. God sent prophets into the world to proclaim the coming light. God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. And then Jesus came himself. He is the light in the darkness. And he's given us everything that we need, everything that's necessary to be a light in a dark world. So this week as you're in life groups, I want you to have some real conversation about how you as a group are to respond to the light. And then we're going to get to hear from Glenn and from God next week about what that looks like. Okay? Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you so much that you've provided us with a way to get out of the darkness, that you have given us an opportunity to have our eyes opened and to see the reality of the world that we live in. Father, this Christmas, as we go through all the stress and the traveling and the buying of gifts and all that, Father, I ask that you would allow us to remember why we do this, to remember that that Christmas is not about giving the perfect gift. The perfect gift was already given. That this is about us sharing light in a dark place. So God, as we, as we give this year, I ask that our focus would not be on giving things, but sharing the light. God, reveal to our hearts the areas in our lives where we have uh, fallen prey to the darkness. Give us the courage to, to ask others to, to walk through us in those dark places. And reveal the light in our lives where we need it so desperately. In Jesus' name we pray.